So we're going to be in the, we're, we're going through the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 23, uh, a section of the book of Exodus that normally is zoomed through because people um, get lost in the laws and they, and they get confused. And these laws are for the nation of Israel. And it's like, why do I need to study them? Why do I need to know them? And it's just as a little, um, uh, it, it can get long, uh, but... When we overlay the gospel, when you overlay Jesus Christ on top of what we're seeing here, it just completely changes it to, to this amazingly deep, and, and it's like a treasure here in Exodus 22, 23. And we've spent five weeks, this is our fifth week in Exodus 23, we'll have one more next week, uh, not next week, but the week after, and, and uh, then we'll get into chapter 24 after that. But it's, uh, I'm, I've just been blown away myself at the treasures that we kind of have seen uh, from from Jesus himself in these in these chapters. So today is no different. We're going to be in chapter 23, verses 24 through 26. And our sermon today is called, Where Are Blessings Found? Where Are Blessings Found? I had another title called, uh, Kill Idols, Get Blessings, but uh, I decided to go with, Where Are Blessings Found? Or you could say, How Do I Get Blessed? You know, that's a popular thing in the church. You know, the pastors sometimes are like, you need the blessing. And, and uh, people are like, I want to be blessed. So what does it mean? Blessed. What? Hashtag, Hashtag blessed. blessed. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so blessing just means happy or, or good. You know, uh, how to have a better life is, is what this is kind of going towards. So with that being the case, let's pray. But I want you to think. As we're praying, I want you to think of what, if, if we had a, someone, who graduated from high school the most recent in, in this room? What? Lies. Lies. You graduate? When did you graduate? When did you graduate? 2016. Anyone beat that? All right, so, so I want you to think as we're getting in and we're praying here, and you could give Sean some advice on how to have a good life, what would that advice be? How to have a better life. I know his life is like perfect in every way, but if it was pretend it wasn't, and what advice would you be giving him? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy and grace in our life. I ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us through your word. We're humble before you. We can't understand uh, spiritual things uh, unless you open our hearts, Lord. I, I read this morning that uh, you would speak everything to parables to the disciples, but then you would explain everything when they were alone with you. And So, Lord, we pray that this would be that time where things are being explained to us, that our hearts are being opened to hear and understand your word. We don't want to stand in rebellion against you. We want to surrender all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you can make his life better, what would you sit, tell him? Give me a couple advice. Oh, uh, you guys are cheating. Some, something not Jesus. Yeah. Okay, what's, what's yours? All right. Okay, live in the moment. All right, don't, not that, okay. All right, what'd you say? Root for the Broncos, not the Raiders? Yeah, okay. Well done. Well, good idea. Okay. <laughs> what else? Anyone got any other good advice for having a good life? Don't buy, right? Okay. Don't get into debt. That's a, 
That's a good one, right? Um, what else? Take chances. The lotto. Going to debt to buy lottery, right? No, not? That's not what he means? Okay. Take chances, though. I understand. Okay. Taking chances. All right. Anything else? Don't spend all your savings. So save and then don't spend it all. Okay. Be a giver. Oh, you're a giver. Do some traveling. Okay. All right. Where do you want to travel to? Wisconsin. All right. Okay. Did some traveling. Okay. Pick a job you love. All right. A lot of a lot of people is work hard. One that you've heard as you've been out in the world and people giving you advice. I know in your graduation card, everyone writes you advice, and I know in mine, most of them were work hard because I was lazy, and so people were trying to encourage me, you know, work hard, you know, good luck, have, you know, get luck, have luck, good luck. (laughs) No luck involved. involved. What? Jeremiah 35. Just tell them that. All right. That's a good one. So hard, hard work is, is, is one idea that people tend, that's how your life can be better. Work hard and your life can be better. Uh, Ronald Reagan, you guys know him? All right. He said, it's true that hard work never killed anybody, but I figure why take a chance? <laughs> Self-help, knowing the right people, getting the right degree, making wise decisions, going to church, serving the poor, tithing, loving God and loving others. Do those things make your life better? What we're going to learn today is that blessings or having a blessed life, blessings are only found in a relationship with Jesus, in relationship with Jesus. They're only in Christ. That's the only place blessings are found. It's in Jesus. Even though we try to gain blessings through idols, it will never work. That's what we're going to learn today. That's the big lesson. Our blessings are found in Jesus, and when we try to to get them through idols, it will never work. So this, this last half of this chapter is basically three promises that God is giving about the angel. Remember the angel? Who's the angel? This angel, God promises, is going to show up to the children of Israel, and he's going to lead them. That was the first promise, and we studied that last week. Remember, we, had, we blindfolded Nathan and had Julie direct him through the traffic, and George tried to destroy him, and uh, Satan was distracting him, and it was, it was a good time. We learned about Lee being led by Jesus and the leading that he will do. Today we're going to learn the promise that Jesus will bless, that blessings are found in Christ, not in anywhere else. And next week we're going to learn that the third promise that he will fight for us. The, the, the battle, the war, the war is won in, in Christ as well. Okay, so 
Promise number two today is he will bless. God promises that he's going to bless the people of Israel through this angel. So look what it says in verse 24. You shall not bow down to other gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. I will take the sickness away from the midst of you, and no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days. So, he says here, my angel is going to bless you. You're going to, the bread and the water, the, the sickness, the miscarriages, you're going to live long, happy lives. Your life will be better. Your life will be good. Your life will be blessed. But there are conditions to this blessing. What are the conditions of this blessing for the people of Israel? And the answer is no idolatry. Do not get involved with idols. Don't bow down to them. Don't serve them. He says, don't do according to their works. Give no place to their worship. He wants them to take down all their altars and everything. He wants them to reject all their importance. He wants them to live without their influence in their life. Don't worry about idols. They, they need to show the people of God for this blessing to become real in their life. They need to show that they hate idols. They have to overthrow idols. They have to reject them completely. Rejecting idols is a very foundational issue for God's people, both in Israel and in the church today. Remember, we lay the gospel over this. We lay Jesus like an invisible like uh, glass, like, like we can see what it really means, these, these laws, when we lay the gospel and what Jesus does, and we as the church, when we lay that over, we can see what it means. So does this mean that we shouldn't have statues in our houses? <laughs> well, if that's what idolatry means, then, then yeah, we, we shouldn't have statues. But that, that's not... Idolatry is not handled with statues in our day today, is it? Do you see idol makers on the side of, like, selling, maybe in Mexico, like, they sell the little, like, Catholic churches, they, you know, but, that was a joke, that was, that was mean, but, <laughs> you know, does it mean we shouldn't watch American Idol? <laughs> You know, can a thing be an idol? You know, right, okay, so we know that there's a, some connection with things, and but we don't have sacred pillars. Well, maybe we do have sacred pillars. And, I mean, we got to kind of, but we're laying the gospel over this so that we see it with our hearts and with the eyes of faith. And what we see as we lay the gospel over idolatry and the practice of idolatry is that it's directly connected to faith. It's directly connected. What are we putting our faith in? That's idolatry. What are we putting our trust in? What are you leaning on or depending on? Okay? That's idols. And if you're, if you're depending on your job, then your job is your idol. If you're depending on your spouse and putting your hope in them to meet your deepest needs, your spouse is your idol. 
And those are, those, those are the more frequent, more common idols in our world today. Let's look at Acts chapter 19. There's this really cool story in the book of Acts 19. And they go and they preach in this city and, and many people turn to the Lord. Now look what it says in Acts 19 verse 18. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices, things they were doing, and a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. I read that in the New Living Translation because I like it. It says several million dollars helps us really connect with the, the value of what's going on here. Okay? So these books that were burnt, these these books represented the things that people trusted in before they heard about Jesus. And before they learned that Jesus could be trusted for everything, Jesus would provide all their needs, Jesus would meet every need in their, their heart and their soul. Before they learned that, these were the things that they put their trust in. And so what did they do? They put them in a fire and burned them. That was the way rejection of idols was was expressed. They, they destroyed them. They didn't keep some in their pantry or in their back pocket. They didn't hold on to any of them. They completely burned them. These books were all the ways that the world and, and all the things in the world that the world turns to when times are tough or you need something. That's how you know what an idol is. It's what you turn to when you feel need. It's what you turn to when you're sad. It's what you turn to when you're tired. It's whatever you turn to that's not Jesus Christ. That's how we know what idols are. An idol is anything we turn to when there's a need in our life besides Jesus Christ. Idols can be money. They can be sex. They can be friendships. And that's the thing about idols is that in one context, if we're, if we're not putting our trust in them, these things can be good blessings in our life. But when we're holding on to them and putting our hope in them, they become poisonous, death to us. Power can be an idol. Control. I got to control my environment. I got to control people. I got to control my life. If anything is out of control, I feel what? What do you feel? Out of control or anxious or stressed or bothered. Just things are, ah, oh, that's some people's idol is control and, and they can't live in a life, they can't function without this control. And what is that telling you? It's, it's telling you, you idolize control. Church can be an idol. I love the way church makes me feel. I love the way people look at me, the way I can get things from people at church. Achievement or recognition, entertainment can be an idol, lust can be an idol, lying, adultery, jobs, our jobs, safety and security. I got to feel safe at all times. If I'm not, things are not right, and I, I turn to safety to meet my needs, etc. There's just, idols can be anything, even good things. 
And that's what's a bummer. An idol is anything we turn to when there's a need in our life besides Jesus. Anything we turn to besides Jesus. Ancient people really trusted in spiritual beings to help them out. Okay? At certain points in in the history of the world, spiritual beings were much more in contact with people. And and today we call that demons. and, and, And that part of the world is kind of underground right now. It's not real prevalent. But back in different times of history, there was, they were much more um, available, you could say. They were much more out in the open. And, and uh, that, that practice of idolatry and connecting with, on a spiritual level with things is still practiced over the world today. But today, we call ourselves more advanced, but we still engage with the exact same idols, which are demons, yet we completely deny the existence of the spiritual world and the spiritual forces behind our idols. And so many people don't even believe in demons, but they're fully engaged with practices that are spiritually derived, this rebellion, okay? Do you guys remember Jacob and Leah when we were going through the book of Exodus? Uh, Jacob went and journeyed to his uncle Laban's house. And he wanted a wife, and he found Rachel. And he, found, and he fell in love with Rachel, and he thought she was so pretty. And remember, Laban tricked him, and on the wedding night, he snuck Leah in there. And Leah was so ugly that she made your eyes hurt when you looked at her. That's what her name meant. Is, is that she, she was ugly. And, and Jacob was like, oh, this is a mean trick, Laban. So Laban ended up giving him Rachel as well, but... Jacob served for 20 years, and Jacob was learning during that time to trust the Lord, and, G- and God, Jesus, blessed Jacob every time. So for 20 years, his wives are watching Jacob interact with Laban, and Laban tries to trick Jacob and change his wages, and Jacob would, would just, oh, I'm just going to trust him. And the Lord would bless him, and the Lord would, would, would cause the sheep and the goats to come out his way, and he ended up getting richer and richer and richer and richer and richer. And, and the, the girls, the, the wives, saw this, and they saw the power of God, the goodness of God, and the love of God. And so the time came after 20 years when they're like, we got to go. Jacob said, we got to get out of here. We're leaving tonight. So they pack up. He's pack up, you know, the, the, the stuff and let's go. And what happens? The wives pack all the stuff, but they also pack, anyone remember? The idols of their father. The idols of their father. Why? They had spent 20 years learning that God could be trusted. Why do you think they took these idols with them? Someone tell me. Habit? Well, yeah, maybe. Why? A sense of security. Right. They wanted a backup plan. They wanted a backup plan. Okay, Jacob, I see that you're, you're, you really trust in this God, and, and, and I've seen it, there's, it's real, I, I get it, okay? But what if God doesn't come through for us? Wouldn't it be handy to just have a backup plan in our camel? We can just go into the trunk, pull out the backup plan, and oh, you, we'll, we'll pray to you guys too. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? 
the big deal is that they really didn't believe that God would bless them, that God loved them, that God was there to take care of them and bless them. They wanted a backup plan. That's the only reason they wanted a just-in-case idol or two in their backpacks. They wanted to turn back to something else besides God. Jesus offers us complete salvation, complete redemption, but his, his price seems high when we first get there. By complete, I mean he, he not only forgives our sins, but he frees us from their power completely. In other words, he makes our life happy and blessed because sins aren't constantly wrecking our life for us. We, we are having victory continually by his grace. That's what he offers. I want your life to be happy. Follow me completely. But his price seems high. He asks not for good works. That's not what he asks for, for you to get these blessings. So the work hard advice does not work for a good life. Worldly thinking it does. Go to college. You're not going to be anything if you don't go to college. That's not what the Bible says. Our sacrifices are not what brings blessing into our lives. Man, I have given up so much to serve the Lord and to to be what God wants me to be. He owes it to me to bless my life. He doesn't care how how sincere we are or how much we mean it. That doesn't bring freedom or blessing. Those things don't work. He asks a high price. He says... I demand 100% surrender. And that's a price that we don't like to pay. We would rather have to work. Why do you think there's a big church that bases everything on works and they're doing just fine with membership because people like to work? People like to have a measurable existence. How good am I doing according to the rules? Let You tell me, God, the Ten Commandments, those are too hard. Let me have a different set of rules where I can just try and then confess to you what I don't do, and that will mean I'm measuring up. And it doesn't matter to God. He demands 100% surrender of our idols, all of them. All of our idols. Idols, again, are things we trust in. Jesus demands to be the only thing that we trust in. How about that? You can't trust in anything else. You could say idols are things we love more than God because love and trust are deeply connected ideas. Love and trust. Like a husband is, is, that demands that his wife only unite with him Uh, that's not crazy, right? Love and faithfulness, love and trust are deeply connected. This idea of trusting Jesus and and letting go of all your idols is a relationship reality. This is not a work, and he's not saying, check that idol, check that idol. Oh, you got these in your trunk, you got to get those. That's not how it's working. It's a relationship thing. 
You could be surrounded with idols. Your house could be full of idols, but you're not committing idolatry because you are trusting in the Lord, not in the idols. Does that make sense? It's a relationship thing. And to cast down our idols means not to trust in them anymore or not to turn to them anymore. The enemy doesn't have anything to tempt us with really except for these idols. The enemy comes to us and he says, I want you to remember how this idol made you feel loved, valued, comforted, comforted, And this idol, it it was so good at doing this, right? That's what the enemy says. And so the things we used to turn to, the enemy makes them seem so great in our mind, and he'll remind you how that idol used to work. It worked. It made me feel better when I trusted in it, when I partook in it, when when I engaged with it. It made me feel better. It did work, but now it will never work again because you're a child of God. Once you come to know Jesus, God makes sure that your idols will never, ever be effective again, and you will never be happy in idolatry. The first thing God takes away from his children when they decide to engage in idolatry, when they decide to trust something other than Jesus, is peace and joy. And so Christians walk around all over the place, sad and bummed out, And without peace inside, why? Because they've connected, they're trusting in something besides Jesus. Trusting in Jesus brings peace. Trusting in something else, God makes sure it will never bring peace. God sabotages, sabotages our idolatry as children of God. Isn't that cool? He will not let it work. He won't allow us to experience these blessings when we turn to idols. God sees the idol that we trust in, and he won't give us peace when we're trusting in it. He does everything, he's already, he wants you to be at peace, and he's done everything for you to be at peace. He offers you peace like a river, but I don't experience peace because I insist on keeping my idol, my status, my relationship, my orientation, my anger. I insist on keeping it. My worry, I insist on it. My property, it's my gun. Don't take it away. My entertainment, this is my time. My my time, I get to choose what I do with my life. Oh, so you want to live in idolatry, I see. It's, It's my rest time. That's an idol too. My overtime. Oh, so you're working hard and you think that's what God wants from you. No, no. My fear, I insist on keeping it. Well, then you're insisting on being sad. You're insisting on not having the blessing that you could have had. What idol is keeping you from being blessed? What do you think? It's the one that you don't want to talk about. It's the one that you don't want to burn. You remember in Acts? They, they, a number of them with that had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in a public bonfire. There's always reasons to hold on to an idol. It, it's, 
It's the way you've always done things. It's comfortable. It's familiar. It's how you coped with pain and acceptance your whole life. That's just how we've lived. We had to cope. We, our parents were fighting, so we, had, we found an idol that could comfort us because our parents were fighting. Our, this didn't love me. That wasn't working out. We had pain. We had acceptance issues. And all of those things... We had to find something to cope with. We found an idol and we clung to that idol and now we have to let it go. We're not allowed to keep it. You can let them go today. You can burn them in public because the gospel freely gives you all that you need, all that you turn to these idols to get, everything the gospel gives you completely for free. Everything. He takes our hurt. Hurt is one of the big needs that we have that that we turn to idols so often for when we're hurt. And he replaces hurt in the gospel with peace and joy. He wipes away every tear. He comforts us uh, with the true comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it's the only real solution for pain. He accepts us. So pain and acceptance the gospel works because he accepts us as his children. And that's why people turn to so many carnal relationships in this world because they have a deep need to be accepted and they look for love in all the wrong places. And that's why you have so many perverted relationships that are only uh, dragging people down and not edifying them because of idolatry. They're turning to that for acceptance instead of turning to the gospel for acceptance. So what blessings are promised? Let's look real quick. In verse 25, it says, So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water. I'll take your sickness away from the midst of you, and you shall not suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. So for Israel... He said, I'll bless your bread and water. Your water will be more refreshing. It'll be vitamin water. Your bread will be more nourishing. It'll be Panera bread. I don't know. What's the most nourishing bread? Dave's killer bread. Okay. I can't afford Whole Foods, dude. All right. Um, he says, I'll take your sickness away from you. So diseases wouldn't ravish Israel. No chicken pox for them, okay? Uh, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. You know, things that... that, sh- that won't die that should be alive. You, you should have life. You should be fruitful. I'm going to make sure that happens. And I will fulfill the number of your days. In other words, their life will be long. Their qual- life will be quality. Their life will be exactly what it's supposed to be. Okay? Remember, this is here to teach us how God works in the life of the church through Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is written for our learning. Even the fact that Jesus says that, that they fed, or Paul says the fact that they fed the cows that, that were plowing, like that they, they would let them eat the crumbs off the ground or whatever. He says that was teaching the church how to take care of pastors, cows. Everything, everything in the Old Testament, when you lay the gospel over it, gives us meaning gives us understanding. Jesus explains all things when we're alone with him, right? So check this out. God promises these blessings to us as well, but not in a physical sense. This is, and we're going to look at it through the gospel and with the spiritual sense, okay? 
It's foolish to think to teach that these things are physically promised to us because they're not. God does not say he will heal every one of our diseases and give us a long life. We see that's not a reality. But they are spiritual realities that are given freely in Jesus Christ, and you have give, been given them right now. They are yours, but some of you don't have them. Some of you aren't living in them. Why? Because of idolatry. We've, but we're going to cast those idols, we're going to kill those idols, and we're going to see these blessings are already ours in Jesus Christ. So look, the old covenant brought these blessings physically to physical obedience, but the new covenant brings these blessings spiritually to spiritual union with Christ. Okay? Old covenant showed us the physical manifestation of what this looked like. Long life, blessed, blessed bread and water, no uh, death in, the, in, in that. But the new covenant shows us that through spiritual union with Christ, the, the old covenant, it was earned by good works, by obedience. The new covenant, it's given by spiritual union with Christ. And how does one get unified with Christ? Through one word, faith. Faith is how these things are not earned, but how we access them. Let's look at the first one, bread and water. This means spiritual nourishment. Jesus is our bread, and he is our water. And if we reject idols and look to him in faith, we're going to see that. We're going to experience that. John 6, 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. John 4, 14, but whoever drinks of this water that I shall give will never thirst. But the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. But if we turn to idols, we will be dry and we will be malnourished spiritually. Anyone ever felt dry? Okay, our example. Sometimes we feel dry. I feel dry all the time. And I, it's a clue to me that I need to turn to something. And the devil says, turn to and he's got a whole list of things that work for me, that have worked in the past. And Jesus says, I'm giving you no solution except me. Turn to me. If we turn to an idol of a new relationship or a new job or a new game or a new movie, hoping that that will revitalize our life, it does for a little while, but soon it ceases to work because we're God's children and he refuses to let those things work that are idols. So the solution is turn to Jesus. It's just Jesus. Eat Jesus and drink Jesus. He explains how to do that in John. Believe his words, put your hope and trust in him. That's eating and drinking him. All right, the second promise here. First one was nourishment, spiritual, the bread and the water. Second was sickness. And we know spiritually, sick sin is a sickness that is affecting us all. But through trusting in Jesus and believing his gospel, we are healed and protected from the sick, sickness of sin. 1 Peter 2.24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. For by his wounds you are healed. 
What healing is it talking about? The sin is what he healed. But if we turn to idols, we will continue to be sick spiritually. When we don't have to be. Example, pornography is, a sim- is simply an idol. It poisons our ability to love our spouse like a sickness. It's a poison. And the spiritual ability to love is weak and sickly when we turn to that idol. That's a pretty easy one to recognize as an idol. You're turning to that? Oh, but it's just because I love my wife. No, bro. That's not. The solution, the solution is the same. It's in Jesus. You have to believe the gospel that you don't need that idol, even though the enemy's telling you, you need it, you need it, you need it. God has provided all you need through Jesus Christ. So believe it. There's a massive healing as your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And it's not like Jesus has to touch you again to heal you. He said, you are healed. It's like you, you, you step into a place and you are automatically healed because it's him. We are in Christ. In him is no sin In him is no darkness. In him. And we step into that momentarily by faith. Saying, I keep my eyes on you, Jesus. Third promise. Barrenness and and fruitlessness. Jesus blesses our life to be fruitful, our ministries to be fruitful. He produced the fruit in our life through communion with him. If we turn to idols, our life might look busy, but it won't be fruitful. Our ministries will look busy, but they won't be fruitful. We desire to have a ministry that does not look like every ministry in the world. We have a very specific vision that we're going to be talking about in the next two or three weeks. It's really important that everyone understands what our vision is. It's very simple. We want to be a church that rekindles the the gospel of grace, teaching God's grace in a very quality way to to broken and hungry and fed up people. That's our long-term total vision. And we're very excited about it. But none of it's going to matter. It doesn't matter if you have a vision statement. I I even hate saying that word because it's so cliche. But it doesn't matter what you say you're going to do if you're not in Christ. Because it will be barren and it will be unfruitful. John 15, 4 said, remain in me and I in you for a branch cannot bear fruit if it's severed from the tree or by itself you can, and you cannot bear fruit outside of me unless you abide in me. It's very simple, Jesus said. You have one job. All of us in here have one job. Abide in Christ. I don't care about your plans. I don't care about your abilities. I care about one thing, abiding in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. If we turn to idols, what will happen? Things that should be alive will die. That church was going great, and then, but it just does, nothing happens. Nothing ever is real. Nothing ever is deep. God's just hand is not on it. It's not blessed, and that's not God's plan for us. That's not his desire. But he will guarantee we are not successful if we refuse to abide in him. In other words, if we abide in something else, which is idolatry. It all works the same. Example, a person wants to see their family um, 
follow God and make good choices, but they turn to the idol of anger and manipulation to try to force their family to do what they think is right, even God's law, but God will not let it work. He will frustrate the plan. The kids will rebel because we refuse to trust in him. Solution, it's in Jesus. Those who wait upon the Lord are rewarded. Are exper- they experience grace. Trust in Jesus and pray with confidence for your children instead of angry and manipulate them. In all your dealings with all your family, act with love, patience, and kindness because we wait upon the Lord. The Lord fights our battles. That's how grace works. Fourth one. We're almost done, guys. You're hanging strong in a hot place. Long life. Jesus gives life beyond measure. A blessing, not just of long as in length, but in quality and depth. And John 10.10 says, The thief does not come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. See, but if we turn to idols, life will not mean as much. It will not be as valuable. There will be something missing. Example, a man chases the American dream always looking for the better position, the bigger benefit to himself. But in the end, he dies sad, empty, with a pointless life. He seems, his life seems pointless, and the stuff is all gone. No matter how hard he fought or worked, it never lasts. The solution is, and always has been, Jesus. Seek God's kingdom first. You know, if we're giving advice to the young graduate back there, we're saying, I know it was a long time ago, so sorry. But we're not saying work hard and chase the American dream, try to be happy. We're saying seek God's kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me, and that's the gospel. We have learned today that blessings are not found anywhere except in Christ. In, a, in that relationship with Christ. Even though we tr- can try to gain them through idols, it will never work. It's in Jesus alone. So how does someone get in Jesus? How do I get in Jesus right now? I want to know. And each one of you, I'm sure you want to know, how do I get in Jesus right now? Now, we're going to see as we study the rest of this book, they're, they're, they're going to enter the promised land, but they're going to really be terrible at it. <laughs> they're actually not going to enter the promised land. But they could have entered the promised land, but in Hebrews it says how to enter the promised land is by faith. Believing that Jesus loves you, and that these gifts, these blessings are already yours right now. The moment your heart believes that, you have them. You have them. They are yours. And the enemy just wants you to not believe that. No, there's something I have to do. I have to go home and I have to do this and I have to to straighten that out and I have to make this thing right in my life. And Jesus says, stop listening to the voice of the enemy and instead listen to the gospel. I have done everything for you. 
And your only job is to believe it. And then you have the life, you have the blessings, and everything works out. Peaches. 